friends, and welcome to episode 621 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today, you have the great pleasure of listening to me speak with Kelsey. She's an adult who's been living with type 1 diabetes for quite some time, and she has a passion for helping people with type 1. When this was recorded, Kelsey was the Community Relations Coordinator for the Chris Dudley Foundation. She since has moved on to be the Director of Operations at Gales Creek Camp Foundation. Kelsey likes helping people with type 1 diabetes, and she loves Diabetes Camp. I think she might have even, like... Well, you'll find out. I'm not going to spoil it all here. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a United States resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please do me a favor and go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and join the T1D Exchange Registry. Taking the survey only lasts a few minutes. You can do it from your phone. It's super simple to do. Hold on, I gotta wait for the music. It's completely HIPAA compliant, 1 million percent anonymous, and it's gonna help people living with type 1 diabetes and benefit the Juicebox podcast. I would really appreciate it if you went to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and filled out that survey today. Thank you very much. Just one more thing. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Uh, you're on a Mac? Yes. You go to the Apple in the top left corner of the screen. Uh-huh. Go to system preferences. Uh-huh. Sound. Um, bottom middle. Sound, bottom middle. Ish. Oh, there it is. Then the sound effects tab. Uh huh. Midway down, it says play sound effect through, and there's alert volume slider. Slide it all the way to the left. Okay. Don't close that because after you're done, you're going to want to remember to slide it back to where it was and close your system preferences. So you will hear the next time you get an email, but we're not going to hear it again for the next hour. Okay. It says there's one checked that says play user interface sound effects. Yep. Should that still be checked? Yeah. It's just the slider. You're just basically turning the volume down um, and then you won't get those notifications. I mean, you'll still get them. You just won't be able to hear them. Okay, you gotcha. Sl- slide it back when you're finished and and quit the preferences and you're right back where you started. Awesome. Okay. I'm just afraid if you close the preferences now. <laughs> then I'll forget. <laughs> yeah. Like hours from now, you'll be like, I have 300 emails. I didn't hear one of them. <laughs> what happened? Uh, but that's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. So when you're ready, and I know you're probably not nervous, or are you nervous? <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I don't think you should be. Um, it helps that we've talked before. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was what I was thinking, too. But uh, just introduce yourself and we'll start going. Awesome. Well, my name is Kelsey Duman, um, and I have had type 1 for, gosh, 22 years now. Um, and I work with diabetes camps and kids and teens and families with type 1. And I am big fan of the Juice Box podcast, so I'm excited to be here today. 
Well, then I feel badly starting off with in a way that could be taken as creepy. But if you've had diabetes for 22 years and I'm looking at this photo of you, are you 24? Like what's going on? <laughs> well, thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Uh, no, I'm actually 29. No, please. So I was diagnosed when I was seven. Seven. Gotcha. Um, okay. So you said a second ago, which I'll just leave in so people have context that you're not nervous because we've spoken to each other before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what came first, the Chris Dudley or the egg? Did, did, did you did you book him before yourself or yes. yourself before him? I booked him. Well, I it was kind of at the same time actually. Um, I had reached out to Scott um, to see about being on the podcast and if it was something that you know if there was some little nuggets of info that the listeners would be interested to hear from me. And one thing led to another, and I brought up the podcast to Chris, and he was excited to join as well. So okay, so. Chris's episode is all edited, and it's in the queue. Yay! It's going to be up very soon. Maybe next week. Awesome. Um, Nice. That's awesome. And then somebody will hear this six months from now and go back and look for it like it's the second, like it just happened. But Right. This this would have been back in in June. You just did something that captured my imagination. You said, I reached out to Scott. Do I feel different to you talking to you than the entity that you believe you're emailing? Or is that just a misstep of words? Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. I was like, oh, maybe I'm multiple people to multiple people. Maybe you guys. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny with podcasts being such, you know, a phenomena right now. Uh, you you imagine someone when you hear their voice, right? And mm-hmm. then you get to talk to them more in person or we had talked over Zoom and you're like, oh, wow, there's like a person behind the voice. <laughs> yeah. I don't seem that much different like when I'm not being recorded, right? No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I am, but this no. would be, wouldn't this have been an odd time to, if you've been like, oh, no, absolutely, you're kind of a prick. And I, <laughs> and I didn't even know. I was like, oh, I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Truth hurts. No, yeah, right. Kidding. I'd be like, oh, no, I'm going to have to take that in. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So you diagnosed when you were seven, you said? Yes. Wow. That's uh, pretty young. Uh, any in the family, diabetes wise? Uh, no. I actually, it's crazy. My entire life, I've been told, you know, there was no family history, yada, yada. And then just like a year ago, my dad was like, well, I think maybe my like great aunt once removed had it. I was like, what? (laughs) Where is this coming from? Who's a great aunt? Um, I don't even know how to track that. I know, me neither. I was like, does that truly count as like genetic connection? Uh, So maybe, I guess, is the answer. But yeah. not that not that I really know of. So basically like his sad third cousin who couldn't get a date one Thanksgiving that he meant, he meant right. yeah, in the 70s. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Well, but yeah, I have two brothers and they both don't have it. Neither are my parents. Um, so I just thought of a question I don't think I've ever asked before. So what does it feel like to does that feel separating that you're the only one? You know, not for me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad and my mom both were super involved in different ways um, growing up with type one. And I think it almost made it more of a family affair, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it didn't it didn't feel separating from my family. Um, My mom was really hands on with the management part of things. Um, I mean, she had like carb counts memorized on every single thing. 
Um, and then my dad was super good about uh, working with me on advocacy stuff. We went to the JDRF Children's Congress when I was 11 um, and got to go talk to our nation's leaders about uh, funding diabetes research. And um, so he was really formative in kind of how I've accepted having type one. So I think they really made it more of a, um, a positive and, and something that they saw as just something that helps shape our family. And so it never felt like I was just out on my own Island. Right. Empowering even. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, um, what did management look like 22 years ago? Did you start regular MPH? I did start regular MPH, um, quickly changed though. I got on a pump when I was 10. So by the time I really can recall management, um, I was on a pump. I do remember the one time my mom, uh, mixed up my regular and NPH and we were just like, what do we do? You know, <laughs> you can't, you can't mix them up. She like did the the wrong dose of one. And I think I remember that because there was so much panic in that moment. Um, but yeah, by the time I could really remember, and by the time I really took some ownership of it, uh, I had the old school animus pump that was like the size of a brick. <laughs> um, and obviously no CGMs. It was all testing. Um, I always think back of my least favorite part of growing up with diabetes was the logbook, and you had to write down your blood sugar every time you tested and record your exercise. And uh, oh my gosh, killed uh, me. <laughs> again, I think the podcast exists partially because I didn't want to do stuff like that, and I thought yeah. <laughs> if I could really figure it out, I wouldn't have to write anything down and tell anybody about it ever again. When right. Did, w- this ownership of diabetes. When did that? transition begin for you? Do you recall? Yeah. Um, you know, I always, I talk with parents about this a lot, um, at camp sessions because that's a a huge question, right? Like when do you let your kid take some ownership? How do you do that? What if they don't want to? Um, and I feel like for me, it was kind of a slow burn, if you will. Um, I think once I was on a pump, it, it, my mom was really good about, um, giving me those little nuggets of ownership, um, even as far as like, okay, here's what your carbs are. Here's how much insulin you should take. You put it in the pump. I'll double check it just in case. Cause you're 10, but you put it in the pump and you press the go button. And so just those little bits of building blocks. Yeah. Um, I would say high school was definitely when I started to take, um, more of a lead role in my management. And my, I always think back, my parents, uh, you know, when you're, you know, having a daughter with type one, when you're in middle school and you're getting invited to sleepovers and the parents are like, okay, well, how do we manage this? Especially back then when there was no Dexcom share, uh, there, I didn't have a cell phone type of a thing. Um, and so their rule was you can go to whatever sleepover you want when you can prove that you can wake up in the middle of the night and test your blood sugar to make sure you're still good to go. So they put it on you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I, I mean, I felt like that was fair because if, you know, that's what I needed to do to be responsible enough to take this next step of going away on sleepovers. 
Um, and it, it took me a little while <laughs> to uh, wake up and not just turn off the alarm and roll over, but to actually wake up and test and yell down the hall that I was 150, you know? I think that's so. Uh, that's yeah. insightful and important to, to talk about, actually, that you can't just make an ask of a kid and expect that, you know, by next Thursday, it's all going to be buttoned up and going the way you want it to. Like, it, it could take weeks or months of you turning off that alarm and being like, oh, I can't do this. And until yeah. you, until you find your, your rhythm with it a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And there was, they had good compromises. You know, it wasn't like, Oh, you can't go hang out with your friends because you can't do this because you have diabetes. Gvoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Gvoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. I don't do this often, but I saw a post on my Facebook page the other day. Uh, by the way, Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes, private Facebook group, 20,000 members, go join. There was a post about the T1D exchange. It said, if you're not on the T1D exchange, you like making some extra money every now and then, and you love contributing to Type 1 Diabetes research, go join. This person says, I've done three studies in the last six months, currently being paid to upload a couple of pictures every day and take a survey for 16 days. Easy peasy, and it's for the greater good of T1D Tech. I'm sure Scott has a direct link, so you can benefit the podcast as well. Well, she's 100% right, I do. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. When I tell you about the T1D Exchange, I never bring this part up because it doesn't come to fruition for everyone, but it is a sincere possibility that the T1D Exchange may offer you other opportunities after you take the survey. So you have to be a type one who's from the United States or the caregiver of a type one from the United States, you have to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box, fill out the survey, takes less than 10 minutes. It's HIPAA compliant and anonymous. And then you're in. They'll follow up with more stuff if there's opportunities available. And if not, you've done a great thing. You're helping people with type one. You're helping the show. So um, just taking the survey is a big help. But there may be more. Anyway, I don't usually talk about it like that because I just want you guys to do it because you want to do it. But I see people are excited about it. There's a lot of comments in this thing about other people who have done it. Um, and I just thought maybe I should tell you. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. Go fill out the survey. Yeah, they didn't lock you in a dungeon if you couldn't do it, right? <laughs> right, right. Like, I could go spend the night at my cousin's house because they, my aunt was trained in everything. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I, it just seemed like it made sense, even at, you know, 12, 13, that if I wanted to go off on my own, I had to learn to do this stuff on my own. Did so. you wake up every night to test your blood sugar? <laughs> um, so my parents in the beginning woke up, I think, almost every night at 12 and 3. Yeah. Um, they, then, you know, they kind of found their own rhythm. 
I think because I started waking up so early to test myself in the middle of the night, it became almost this like habit. And I actually, when I was like 17 or 18, my endocrinologist sat me down and was like, you can sleep through the night. It's going to be okay. But it almost became this anxiety of like, well, I have to wake up at 12 and test and see what I am. And, um, my, I had an amazing endocrinologist growing up and she, she was like almost giving me permission to, you know, as long as you're at a good range before you go to sleep, you got to trust your body. Describe that a little bit. If you, if you were to get up every night at midnight and test and always have a good number, like, you know, good meaning you felt comfortable about it. Right. What would stop you the next night from not getting up? Is it just like, this is going to be the day? Yeah. You know, honestly, I think I really needed that almost permission from my doctor Ah, Um, because my mom had said, you know, you're not getting enough sleep. You're, you're also a teenager, right? (laughs) Like, um, so it's like, you know, your body's growing, you have to get more sleep than you have been getting. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, I mean, it was really tough, honestly, to let myself trust my body and trust the basal rates that we've, you know, Mm -hmm. looked over and over. So, yeah, I agree. I just, I was wondering how it struck you. So how do you, I I mean, we kind of glossed over it a little bit. So do you work at a lot of different camps or do you work specifically for the Chris Dudley foundation? So right now my full-time job is with the Chris Dudley foundation. Um, but I love being involved with as many diabetes camps as possible. Um, I actually got uh, my undergrad degree in uh, psychology and camp management. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was super fun to be able to apply some of my education to it. Um, And then right now I'm getting my master's in nonprofit management, which as any camp lover would know, many of them are nonprofits. Um, But I work really, really closely with another diabetes camp here in Oregon called Gales Creek Camp. Um, and they host nine camp sessions all throughout the summer. Um, and then I've worked closely with riding on insulin, which is a ski and snowboard camp for kids with type one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I work a lot with the diabetes camping and education association, which is kind of the hub of all the diabetes camps. So what's the, in your, in your mind, what's the goal of diabetes camp for the attendee? For the attendee, the goal of diabetes camp is, and this is broadly speaking, right? Because a lot of them focus on different aspects, but giving kids the tools and the self-confidence to not only live well with type one, but really embrace type one and, and use the skills that it brings into your life to take them further in other aspects of their life. Okay. I'm, I have to just take a, a detour for a second. I love your generation because you, you have, <laughs> I think, three times in the first 16 minutes that we've spoken, made sure not to generalize in your answer. You'll say, well, in my um, you know, experience or for me or in this set, it's very uh, – you guys don't generalize. Like Older people are just like, if you ask me a question, I will answer it, answer it empirically as if it's the <laughs> only answer in the whole world. <laughs> and I know that's not like – particularly right. And I do try, I think I'm doing a better job of not answering that way um, and talking like that as I get older, but you guys are so aware of it. Like that's, 
I'm it's nice. I I don't know another way to put it really. I just but I hear it every time. Like it it hits me oh, like, interesting. like a little tap on the back of my head like, "Oh, she was really careful there not to generalize." Anyway. Well, and I think I'm sure you've noticed this, you know, talking to all of these different people with type 1 who or who work in type 1. Like it, everyone's journey is so different with type 1. You know, you can generalize in the sense of we all wear a pump or we all take insulin, but I mean, everybody has their own experiences and their own outlook on oh, life with type one. No, no, absolutely. I, I I don't think you're wrong in the least, but I think you're a million percent right. I'm just so aware of it when it happens, which makes <laughs> me think back to when I was younger. We must have just blurted out the first thing that occurred to us. And, and that was the new rule. So, right. You know, like my, um, I don't know. That's interesting. So, so, okay. So you come to camp, basically... It, is there any way in your mind that this podcast is virtual camp? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool growing up. So I started going to camps, uh, diabetes camps right after I got diagnosed. Um, Gales Creek camp who I work closely with do a family camp. Um, and so I was diagnosed in May, um, when I turned seven and that July, my family and I were at family camp. Hmm. Um, and so like, I have just, grown up through the system, if you will. But as I've gotten older recently, you know, the diabetes online community has just taken off. And it's so cool to see aspects within podcasts or Facebook groups of that diabetes community that when I was younger, it felt like camp was the only place to find that now in these new formats of support. Yeah. I, I, I think that all the time. I don't, I don't ever say it out loud, I guess that I don't see the difference between all those things you just listed. Yeah, Facebook group, right. listening to this, going to camp. It's the idea of first seeing that there are other people who have diabetes. And yeah. there they are right in front of you. They're not weird. Like, you're not the only handsome person with type 1 and everybody else is just, you know, hunched over in a ball. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, where yeah. that, that feel, I don't, I, you know what I mean? Like, that feeling that even you could maybe even feel like, well, those other people are sick, but I'm not. Right, and then you see right. other just completely normal people walking at you, and you see yourself in them, and and that's comforting, and, right? And inclusive, sure. it makes you feel it makes you feel like surrounded in a good way. Um, and then you hear people's ideas. Now, I've had people come on here and tell me that some of the, I, I, I had somebody on recently talking about a uh, an eating disorder, and I don't think the episode's up yet, but mm-hmm. uh, the person said that all of the you know I'm making air quotes best eating disorder tips came from camp because that's where that's where they learned how to manipulate their insulin and everything from other people who were already doing it in a time where this was years ago not that it couldn't happen right today but um but years ago when it was harder to like track your data even like they they taught her how to like like you know cheat in her log books or test test when they knew you know they were uh they were at a certain number or use urine strips, but put water, mm. put water on them and they would come mm. back just reading like normal, like, right. like that kind of stuff. Um, and so in my mind, as I'm, I'm being told that story, I think it would be easy for people to listen to that and think, well, see, camp's bad. But I just think that in every walk of life, you have the opportunity to take the good or the bad from something. There's always going to be a mixture, right? It's up to you what you're going to take from it. So while that person's recollection was that camp taught me how to do things I wasn't supposed to do, I don't really believe that. I think that 
that there are ants, especially in today's world with the internet, the you know, as as completely readily available as it is, you could find out anything. Like I could learn, right. I could learn anything in the next five minutes if I wanted to. So you kind of have to want it, I think. For sure. You know? And I think, you know, being at camp, you are in a cabin in the middle of the woods, usually with kids your own age who all are experiencing the same thing. And that's what you have in common, right? Yeah. So it's crazy. Like some of my best friends are from camp and they're people that I probably, if I met them on the side of the road, wouldn't have become best friends with them Mm -hmm. just because we're so different. But you have those shared experiences and the the same daily challenges and it just, you connect on that different level. Um, And so obviously those conversations are going to come up. Um, and like you said, you take what you want from it. So obviously not great that camp was a source of damaging information for her in that sense, but you're, there's also, you know, probably tenfold the amount of good information that kids can take. Oh, I would imagine. Um, No, no. And, and just those tips, I mean, you're talking about the tips of, of, I'm assuming probably diabolemia. Yes. Um, but the tips of, you know, what to do when you're feeling like you know, diabetes just sucks and I don't want to do this anymore. And, um, you know, I've had conversations with kids that are struggling with eating disorders, but they feel like there's that safe space where they can talk about it and whether they're approaching it from a, this is what I'm doing. And I'm not sure if like how I feel about it, um, or a, I need help and no one else understands how I'm doing this to myself. And so I need to talk to someone who really understands diabetes to really get this. It just creates that, that almost internal community. Um, And you're out for a week and most of the camps don't allow kids to have their cell phones with them or internet or anything. So you're with the people you're with, and it just creates that, that open space of just talking through those things. How do you negotiate that? Because that seems like such a great idea to leave your cell phone at the door, kind of an idea. (laughs) How do you, how do even hear comedians talk about it now? Like if you go to see comedy live, they'll, they, 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 there's a, there's literally an industry around bagging people's cell phones at, at live events. So that that your phone stays safe and it's, and protected and they can get it back to you because you can't come into the, into the performance with a cell phone because the comedian doesn't want to be up there thinking you're about to take four words that they say and turn it into some, you know, misrepresented Mm. or something like that. They want to be free to talk. So I love the idea of those kids coming into the camp, leaving their electronics behind. But how do you do that when their electronics are their insulin pump or their CGM too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge concern among parents for sure. Um, but there's, like I said, I work with, uh, the diabetes education and camping association, and they've done a great job of kind of helping camps figure out ways where you don't need your cell phone to access your Dexcom. So, right. If a kid has a T-Slim pump, they ask the kid to put, take the Dexcom off their phone, turn in their phone, and then rely on the Dexcom that's on their pump. Um, I think what you said in the beginning there of how, how do you negotiate that with like these teenagers who are glued to their phone any other day of the week and they're showing up at this place where maybe they've never been. And now you're asking them to give up their like safety blanket. Um, and I think sometimes it's, it's a little tough, but I think kids can be more logical than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they understand that, you know, 
like at Chris Dudley basketball camp, we're going to be playing basketball all day. Like the only breaks you're going to get are for meals and snacks and to test your blood sugar if you feel low. Mm. So they kind of get like, well, okay, I'm going to be busy. I guess I, I won't have time. I don't want my phone to fall out on the court and break. Um, and actually at, at Chris Dudley basketball camp, we have them turn it in kind of like you're talking about with the, uh, comedy guys and put them in a bag, put their name on it. And then it goes in the camp store and there's, uh, an hour period in the afternoon where they have some free time. They can shower, they can go to the pool and they're allowed to check their phone out just to check in with mom and dad or whatever. Yeah. And that's what we've noticed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but we've noticed that a lot of them just leave their phone there. Right. And it's, I think it speaks to how we've built that community and that kind of positive energy of like building connections with the people who you're with, because they are showing us that they'd rather hang out with their new friends than get on their phone and go on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. No, I mean, that, that aspect of what you're saying is magical. The idea that they wouldn't have a phone to, I mean, because what does a phone really do, right? It, it stimulates you in a way that real life almost can't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and so it, it feels better. It's more comfortable. It's soothing. You know, it's all the things that talking to a person should be or mm-hmm. playing basketball or something like that. But I'm, I'll use my daughter as an example. If you took Arden's phone from her, she's, she's done. Like she's looping. Right. So right. she can't like, you know, would you ask her to go on MDI while she was there? Oh, that's true. Cause you're looping. Yeah. Like she um, needs that phone to be near her. Yeah. That's a great question. You know, what's interesting with the last couple of years of COVID interruptions um, is we haven't had the chance, at least at Chris Dudley basketball camp to have, that uh, have a looper at camp. Yeah. Um, and like, I know Chris himself loops and so he's all for it. Um, but because we haven't had camp the last couple of years, we haven't had a chance to see what that would look like. Right. And I think, I think honestly, the, if it was, you know, only up to me, which there's a whole team of medical professionals that would make these decisions, but from kind of a, uh, uh, camp director mindset, if you will, I obviously, if she needs her phone as her pump she needs it right like that's a non-starter um and so i think it would be a a question of okay so can you you know turn off the data keep on your bluetooth and and i i looped for a little bit but it's been a while Mm -hmm. um and really just whether she has her phone and it's just functioning as the pump and cgm and it's not a she's sitting on her phone talking to her friends, which she doesn't sound like yeah, the kind of kid that would do. Right. Well, that's, you know, it's interesting is we've, we've come so far in society where you can't like, I, I imagine a time where you tell the kids, look, you're here. I know you own a phone, but you don't use it. And then they actually listen to you like that. Right. That to me would be the pinnacle of this, this concept actually teaching people to integrate their this isn't your job at camp but but it would be nice if people could actually understand how to integrate technology into their lives without allowing the technology to take over their life right you know for sure yeah well and i know other camps um like gales creek who i work closely with they don't have cell service out there so they don't have to do as much as we do with like protecting the phones and putting them in their own little box so that the kids aren't tempted with them um because there it's you know if they're looping great if they're not 
their phone's just kind of an iPod type of a thing. So Kelsey, I think that was an odd organ flex you just did there. You're like, we have cell service where we're at. <laughs> when, you know, I just imagine Oregon to be like um, countless acres of 300 foot tall trees that are four feet from each other and nothing else right. exists there. I mean, I, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> yeah, you have you have granola um, weaved into the dreadlocks under your arms right now. Is that not <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, what? Okay, let me make you the king of the world for a second. Oh, okay. And and but we'll keep you in your camp uh, space. <laughs> what could diabetes camp be that it currently isn't? Oh gosh, wow, that's a great question. Of course it is. That's why the podcast is uh, listened to by many many people because I don't <laughs> I don't ask the silly questions. I want to know. Here's what I think when I'm talking to you. I'll give you a chance to think for a second. Yeah, I think young. Smart, type one, you married a type one, which I don't even think we've gotten to yet, right? True, we right? haven't. <laughs> right. Eventually, you're going to have a baby. It's going to yep. like probably come out with an insulin pump on its forehead or something like that. <laughs> and so, um, what, like, do you dream or, or like, well, here, in fairness, some people go to work and they like facilitating and doing a job. And some people will live their whole lives doing that. And some people are at work thinking this could be better. This could be like, are you a person who thinks about how to make things better? Or are you taking a lot of joy out of making the machine work? No, for sure. I definitely am always thinking about, you know, how could we change this? How could we improve or expand, really? Yeah. Or get more out of it, even. Like, Make it yeah. be something, may, maybe there's an, I always think this about everything, like maybe this thing has a purpose that we don't know yet. And, mm -hmm. and like, what could this thing do if it was all together like this? If we, if we like wiped away all the norms that were in our heads and the way we think things are supposed to be, like, mm -hmm. what's the opportunity here? We're bringing kids together. They're at camp with, an, a, you know, a, you know, operated by a type one who was a long time NBA player. So mm -hmm. super exciting. Plus you're in Oregon and you have cell service. Your people are like literally like kings. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> sitting on your thrones with your cell service. Uh, um, like so where like what what's there that that's right in front of you that you don't see or that you see, but it's hard to get to happen. Like that's what I want to know. Like how do you make it more than it is? So the first thing that comes to mind, and I'm I'm sure there's so many different routes I could take with my thought process in this. Um, but, you know, kids go to camp and then they age out and that's it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I'm sure, and you, I mean, Arden 17, right? Uh, in a couple of days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, happy birthday, Arden. I will tell her. Um, but like, you're going to get to that point that I, you know, have gone through as a young person with type one, where you're transitioning from high school to college and then college to the real world. And there's so much change in that for anyone, but then you add type one on top of it. And it's, there's so much to just kind of wrap your head around, mm -hmm. um, psychologically and physically and basal rate wise, yeah. um, that that's a, a huge transition point for, for young adults with type one. And I think, I mean, camp's amazing. And as a kid, it was at least for me, like a, a huge amount of support and really helped me accept type one and embrace type one and use that to my advantage rather than it being something that hinders me. Mm -hmm. 
And then I was lucky enough to be so passionate about camp that I immediately went into being a camp counselor for the whole summer. And so I kind of just fell back into that support because I was working in it. But there's so many kids who, you know, turn 18, they can't be campers anymore. They maybe don't like have that passion or have the availability to work a camp all summer. And now they're just set free on their own. And I just think that there's such an opportunity there for camp to continue, whether it's an adult camp, which I know some people um, do host, but just to kind of extend that support, because as a kid, you're, there's so much that stays the same, right? Like from elementary school to high school, so much that changes also, but your biggest changes are right after high school. Um, So I think just finding ways to apply the magic or the science, if you will, of camp to that, that next step. Yeah. So, so a, a way for young adults to be connected to each other, even if they can't go show up in the woods together for a couple right. of weeks. Right. To, right. To, yeah. Especially when they're now trying to figure out management stuff, that's not going to be completely obvious to them at first. Right. Right. And you need other people to speak to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. See, that's I just think that's the key to this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, that not everybody is going to have all the ideas that they need or, you know, they'll miss one little piece. And how great is it to be able to blurt it out? And, and, and I'll tell you what I believe as the podcast grows, numbers are important. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not necessary that everyone speaks. It's it's necessary that everyone can see it because mm-hmm. because if you take if you take 50 people and ask a question, you might not get the answer. If you ask 50,000 people, you're going to have somebody with some lived experience. Yeah, your odds go way up. It it, it really makes things easier because then people chime in. I think people are, um, you're fooled a little bit by social media. There's there's this idea that everybody that you see talking is everybody that's there. Right. But I know like the rule of tens exists in a big way. Right. You right. reach 100,000 people to find 10,000 people to do something. Of those 10,000 people, only 1,000 of them will take the next step. Of those 1,000, only 100. It really is true. Most people lurk. They stand back mm-hmm. and they watch. Um, and so, but when you hit in their sweet spot, they just jump. I, there's a person, they'll probably hear this, that I don't think I've ever heard from before. And then the other day mm-hmm. I asked about buying a more comfortable chair to record the podcast in. And he was just like so excited. He's like, I finally have something to contribute here. I know about this. And like, <laughs> and, awesome. like and like here they are, you know? Um, yeah. And meanwhile, no one else answered really. And, right. And it was like, it was I found the one person who's like, I have real solid thoughts on this. And and here's some links and here are my thoughts. And this is what I think you should be looking at. And I think that works for everything. You know, here's my graph. What does it look like? to mm-hmm. you well mm-hmm. to one person it looks like too much basil to another person it looks like you're not doing well with your meals and then you have a conversation you find a, a, a vector of attack and three days later the person comes back and goes oh i did it it's all done like, yeah like three days to go from a graph that is horrifying to i did it and yeah meanwhile people are going off to doctors for 6 12 18 months just to get their basal rates from 0.3 to 0.6 <laughs> Right, you know, right. and 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 that's demoralizing. That wasted time in there 
I find really frustrating. So connections to people are really important. Yeah. And I think to your point on the flip side a little bit, you know, there's so many people on social media or wherever giving advice or talking about their story. And I think there's a danger of feeling like, well, what do I have to offer? Because there's so many people, once you get plugged into those resources, there's so many people who have something to say and it can maybe feel like, well, what am I going to say that's going to be any different or make any sort of impact? But somewhere out there is someone that needs to hear what kind of chair to buy and no one else is talking about that. And something, even if it's just a little snippet that you say, can completely change their mindset. Well, you know, it can help with there being too many voices is, and and I, I tripped on this by mistake, but I think the podcast curated the Facebook group. And Mm. so there are people who had already been through, you know, hundreds of hours of the podcast and they were now far enough along the path to know what they didn't know. And that stops the extraneous people from coming in and saying something that's really not very valuable or completely formed. Mm. And so people Mm -hmm. know there's enough people here who do know I don't need to give my my half-baked answer here because I don't really know. Because you know when you don't really have all the answers. You're like, well, what I'm seeing is this. When someone can come in and just like break it down for you. Right. Um, it's there's. I don't think it's something – you can't build it on purpose, but you can build it with intent. Like you can start yes. with something small with the right intent. Don't lose track of the good intent. Oh, for me, it's super simple. Like everything I do – I try to help people like that's it. I only have one goal. Like, is this going to help somebody? If it's not, it's not worth time. Yeah. And and then the things that people find valuable, they kind of, you know, they, they come towards and then that grows it. And then the growth creates the whole thing, but you're limited when you do it in the real world, you're limited by bunk space or money or, or something like that. Whereas the thing I build is free basically. Yeah. For them and for me. I mean, I don't put any great, great finances into it. Um, right. But, 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 but it does then lack the human interaction. Right. Right. So, right. So, if you had a wish, what would you wish for camp that it didn't have limits as far as people or what would you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the camping industry as a whole is sometimes viewed as, whether it's diabetes camp or not, just viewed as, unaccessible for some people, Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's because of finances or traveling or, you know, if there's a camp that's close to them. Um, And, and that's, I think sometimes a tough pill for me to swallow because I'm like, I want everyone at camp. Everybody needs this. Um, And I think just continuing, I mean, diabetes camps have great resources as far as scholarships I'm pretty sure all the diabetes camps I know of have a baseline rule of we will never deny anyone based on finances. Like we'll find a way. Um, And a lot of camps have, you know, Lions Club members that'll drive kids to camp if their families don't have cars. So there's ways to do it, but I just don't think that it's always viewed that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of changing that narrative and, and meeting the expectation as well um, of campus for everyone. Like everybody belongs at camp and it should be available to everyone. Um, And everyone should feel like it's a safe space, a open space um, and somewhere that they truly 
feel like they belong. Um, And I think just like anything in our world today, like the camping industry has uh, ways to go with that. Um, But kind of like you said, with the right intent and then meeting the actions that are actually going to meet those expectations. um, I, I don't think it's an unreasonable ask by any means. Yeah. That's cool. I, do you think this is an industry you're going to stay in, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, kind of a, a weird, um, a weird, not weird experience, but a meaningful experience. When I was like 16, I just kind of had this moment of like, what do I want to do with my life? And I just, ever since then, I keep coming back to camp. Um, and I'm, you know, in my master's program right now for nonprofit management and people are like, oh, I'm going to work for Make-A-Wish or I'm going to work for, you know, Mm -hmm. these big nonprofit organizations. And I just keep coming back to camp Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm learning great tools to help me in that. But this is definitely the industry that I feel called to serve in. So, so I, I've never said, I've definitely never said this out loud. It's getting to the point where there's so many episodes. I'm like, I really don't think I've ever said this, but (laughs) my first foray into being helpful to people never got out of the the planning stages, but okay. I did like, I applied to be a, a charity, I guess a five oh one C three or something like that. Right. And yeah. my idea was to, it seems ridiculous now that I'm saying it out loud, um, <laughs> just because it seems unattainable without somebody, without an influx of money. But mm. I wanted to start a place where newly diagnosed or lost people could come and live with their families and be brought up to speed very quickly. Oh, that's awesome. Right. That was my, that was my idea. I obviously do it now online like this, right? Like through audio. But um, that was my first idea is that there would be a structure somewhere that you could come and live at. And then, and then because you'd be getting up in the morning and eating breakfast and going outside and being active or sitting down and doing school or whatever you'd be doing, you'd be living at that place for mm-hmm. a short amount of time um, in a way that you could end up having as many real life experiences around diabetes and insulin as possible where someone would be with you the whole time to say, okay, do this, do that, do this. Because I see it now, if I followed your not that you would need that. I'm just saying you, but if I followed your CGM mm-hmm. and you and I were in close texting contact, like for two or three days mm-hmm. and you were having an issue, I'm confident we could clear the issue. Right. Right. And so I yeah. thought if people were like together and what is it they really get from that, uh, whether you're in that texting situation or you're together, it's a sounding board from a person who very likely does know the right thing to do in this situation. And so right. that that weeds out all of the the extraneous noise in your head, like, well, maybe it's this or maybe I should be doing that. Instead, it's just someone who goes, no, no, no look right here. There's yeah. not enough insulin here. And right. then you put it in and then you watch the good thing happen and you learn really quickly. That was my that was my first idea. It is not easy to have a nonprofit. I don't there are so many things about it that scare me. And the one thing that really pushed me away from it was the board of directors. I got mm. very scared of the idea of someone being over able to override my vision. Mm-hmm. And so that I dissolved it soon after that. Well, and I mean, I think the idea is awesome. Like, honestly, the first thing I think of is it's like a, a Kickstarter camp, right? Like you get diagnosed, you go to 
Scott's camp for newly diagnosed and, and you get kind of this simplified education and now you're off to the races, right. you know, <laughs> in my mind, it's still doable online. Um, yeah, I do bring it up to a couple of people like, like imagine someone like Jenny who's at a desk and instead of like being with people, I don't know, imagine you could pop right onto a zoom and mm-hmm. say, Hey, this is it. You know, we're about to eat breakfast, blah, blah, blah. Here it is. And she could actually look at it and you could right. talk for a couple of seconds and work through it because still like one of the, one of the restrictions of her job or, and I've, you know, where I've helped people where one of the restrictions is that sometimes people don't know everything they should be telling you. And so mm. they leave out this one really like salient detail. And you're like, I don't understand why this didn't work out. And three days later, they'll mention that, you know, they had oatmeal. <laughs> you're like, mm-hmm. oh, geez, you just said carbs. You didn't say it was oatmeal. You, you, you know, like, <laughs> like, that, like that kind of thing. Um, the evilest of all. Right. But it's there. Like in my maniacal part of my brain, like I'm picturing myself in a room like with an infinite number of monitors able to like bring people up to speed really quickly. But there's got to be a real way to do that. Like there's mm-hmm. got to be a way to take that cartoon idea and make it um, more of a reality. If yeah. I, if I figure yeah, it out, I I'm going to awesome. ask you because you're going to have a master's yeah. degree by then. You'll have real thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty soon, December. <laughs> yeah, right. And I don't even think like it shouldn't it should be it should be through your healthcare system. Yes. Like like yes. You're, you should you should be diagnosed and you should leave with like a voucher. Like I used to give my mom on Mother's Day when I couldn't afford a present, right? Mm-hmm. And and it 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 should tell you that when you're ready, somebody is going to walk through every aspect of your day with you until mm-hmm. and then and then you know, for a certain amount of time. And if you're mm-hmm. really stuck, then you get moved to a different person. Like, do you know what I mean? Like my, maybe somebody who's, I don't know. It's there. Trust me. It's there. But the, the Oh, I, yeah, yeah, I'm all in. I love it. The model and is it, definitely not some nice person. Well-meaning doctor sees you for 14 right. minutes and sends you home. That's not how it should right. work. So. Well, and you had mentioned, you know, it should be part of healthcare. And I've had people tell me like, why doesn't, my insurance cover my camp tuition. And yeah. it's like, oh man, I wish it did, right? Because there's so much value in those experiences at camp. Like I gave my first shot to myself at camp. It's mm. like huge, right? And a seven-year-old with type one. And it's like the reality though of working with insurance companies to get them to cover a camp tuition. I mean, I can barely get them to cover my Dexcom supplies. Like <laughs> I, I am pretty certain that Arden I mean, I know Arden will be 17 in a couple of days. I'm fairly certain she's never given herself an injection. Oh. I, she's has diabetes for thir- four, 15 years. Right. And I don't think it's ever even come up. So, yeah. Well, it, and know. I mean, that speaks to the the change in, in how good technology is now, too. Yeah. Like, she's gotten to have diabetes, I guess, in this world where it was only a dream when I was first diagnosed. Yeah. I remember the doctors told my parents when I was diagnosed, well, there'll be a cure by the time she turns 18. I'm like, well, it's 11 years later and still waiting on that cure. But now you, I mean, I show my parents like my T-Slim that's connected to my Dexcom and they're, it's like mind blowing to them because yeah. they went from this 
massive insulin pump and injections to this tiny little sleek touchpad. <laughs> right. Plus they're they're indigenous people to a tree community. They really have never seen stuff like this. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, I I've probably given Arden ten thousand injections. Right. Yeah. But she's never like I don't she's ever really ever hold held the syringe. I mean I'm sure she has, but I can't remember it. You know right. what I mean? So I still remember I, and I must have been seven and a half. So it's crazy to me that I remember this moment. But I remember being in my parents' house and I was holding the poker to my meter, right? Because there was no Dexcom back then. And I was like, you can do it, Kelsey. You can do it. Like in my little seven-year-old mind, I'm like, you can poke your own finger. And I like counted to 10 and I poked my own finger and I was so proud of myself at that moment. That's how I looked the first time I did it to myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I was in my 40s. I was like, this is going to hurt. I know this is going to hurt. Is this going to hurt? I don't want this to hurt. People say it doesn't hurt. Oh, and then you're like, oh, <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Like, and it's sort of over. But it very, uh, I, I, I love the idea of like a little kid just being like, I can do it. I can do it. I can yeah. Do it, you know? Hype yourself up. <laughs> yeah. What, Um. this is an unfair question that you're going to probably answer, you know, with a disclaimer. But <laughs> why do you seem so normal and like, did you have any, I don't, I don't know how I mean this. Did you have any impediments along? I, I've now spoken to so many people who have diabetes and people seem to fall in like these two specific buckets, like really burdened by it. Don't mm. really seem to mind it. I don't, I don't, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, wh what is that for you? I mean, I would, I obviously here's the disclaimer coming right out of the shoot. I've definitely had my ups and downs with diabetes. Um, college was tough, right? Like I remember having this moment where I was like, oh, if my blood sugar doesn't ride 250 all day, I feel so much better and I do better in classes. And it's like that light bulb moment of you're like, well, that was pretty obvious. I should have figured that out, but you get distracted. And um, so, yeah, I, I've definitely had my days just like anyone else where you're like, diabetes sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but truly, and, and I'm coming right back to it. Like, I feel like camp was that game changer for me of, and I owe a lot of that to my parents because as soon as I got diagnosed, they sent me to camp. Um, but that was, I think I was privileged to learn early on that there were other people who had the same struggles as me, that there, you know, were resources that I could turn to when it was tough. And I, I fell in love so much with that camp community that I almost became grateful to diabetes for giving me that, that support system. And I mean, gosh, I, we didn't get to have our wedding in 2020 because of COVID, but when we were planning it, um, five out of my seven bridesmaids had type one and I met them all at camp. Wow. Um, our best man was a friend from camp. So I feel like I've gotten so much good out of having diabetes because of those camp connections um, that it's it's kind of hard to resent it so much just because I have so much to be grateful for with it. And, and you know, camp also helped me capitalize on some of the skills that diabetes brings into your life and really identify like, hey, I you know, had to be responsible at a young age, but I, now I have that responsibility skill 
that I've had since I was seven, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of, I, th- I feel like, I mean, camp was definitely the game changer and it helped teach me that there are parts of diabetes that I can be grateful for. Right. No, I, I agree with you. I think that it's, um, there's something about the struggle that's valuable if the struggle doesn't mm-hmm. kill you, you, you right. know, like that kind of for a thing. Sure. And there are some people I think who are, are built differently, uh, wired mm-hmm. differently, and that the same struggle that might enrich you could stop them. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's fascinating to see that uh, how random it appears. Yeah. You know, well, and I think to your point, it almost feels like a bit of a duty, if you will, to because I, I fell into that camp of like, feeling okay and really embracing this and um, using it to my advantage, it feels like I have a responsibility to work with people who don't feel that way Mm -hmm. and see if I can help be that support system that whether it changes their mind or it just supports them. Um, Cause it's, I mean, like you said, there's two different kinds of people I feel like with type one and you either embrace it or you deal with it and that that. doesn't always end up great yeah i feel like that too kelsey if we were only 30 years uh closer together and i had diabetes i could have married you and (laughs) of course i can't live in a tree though my hands are not oh true i don't have the thumbs to to hook onto the branches the right way uh the way way i'm sure you do from growing up in oregon Uh, right right how did you meet your husband Uh, so speaking of things I can be grateful to diabetes for, um, yeah. So my husband has type one, we actually met at diabetes camp (laughs) shocker. I know, um, we met in 2016 and he actually never went to diabetes camp as a kid. Um, but he is a basketball coach and obviously Chris Dudley basketball camp is a diabetes basketball camp. And, uh, he had been applying for quite a few years to come and work the camp. And there was just never an opening Um, and they needed a coach one year and he uh, came to camp. And of course, all of our camp friends caught wind that we were maybe interested in each other. And they set up a whole camp skit for the talent show of how we were going to start dating. And oh, man, things can (laughs) your camp friends really get involved in your personal life. (laughs) But it worked out great. Yeah, I felt like you were about to say this one time at diabetes camp. Um, Right. (laughs) Uh, Okay, for years that he couldn't get the job, were you with somebody at that time anyway? I'm trying to imagine. Imagine if he got the job sooner, but you were with somebody, so you didn't intersect well. Oh, yeah. No, the timing was just awesome. I mean, like he and I both had been dating other people until about two years prior to that. Um, So we both kind of had our time to be single. And then by the time he came to camp, it was like, wow, I'm really glad that this worked out now type of a thing. How much did having diabetes for, I don't know if you can't really speak for him. I'm already in my head. Like you're going to be like, I can't speak for him, but, um, (laughs) but how much does, um, it mean for the two of you to have type one or doesn't it matter? It's a good question, man, Scott coming in with the hard hitters. <laughs> like if he, if, he got that, um, if he got cured tomorrow, would you be like, Oh, I don't even like him as much now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's interesting because we both have had very different experiences with type one. I feel like we're both in that camp of like accepting it and embracing it. 
Um, but like, we both have very different management styles. Um, I feel like now that we're married, we're kind of getting on more of the same page with that, but like it, I mean, I think it, it definitely helps, but it's never been like a forefront of our relationship. You weren't looking um, for a guy with type one to get married. To. No, okay. no. Okay. So um, you just said something. I'm going to pin you down on it. Now you both have different styles. Whose style is yeah. better? <laughs> um, different parts of different like when i first met him <laughs> he might hate me for saying this but he'll be fine don't worry if you stay uh, married long enough he'll hate you one way or the other so let's just get yeah <laughs> exactly when i first met him he was like he was he didn't have a or no he had a cgm but it was the medtronic one and it was old enough that he had to calibrate it three times a day mm. and he said he held out his finger and he was like i poke on this side of my thumb in the morning and the top is lunch and the side is dinner. And then I move on the next day to my pointer finger. And I was just looking at him like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like you, but he's also a math teacher, right? So he's got that like logical, very organized mind um, that I don't have. And I, I joke with him. I'm like, so do you change your lancet every day too? Because this isn't going to work if you do that. (laughs) Well, you know, a math teacher and a camp counselor, one day you guys will um, amass tens of dollars to in your savings account. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> um, so there's something there too, right? Like that that feeling of helping people, um, he must have that as well if he's a teacher. Yeah, for sure. Teacher yeah. and uh, he coaches football and basketball. So we definitely both have, I think that more than like, Obviously, we both have diabetes, which is a huge thing to have in common. But I think even more than that, it was the you're here at camp to help people just like I am. You love working with kids in your daily life just like I do. Right. Um, and it both just happened to be because of diabetes yeah, yeah. that we met. So That's very nice. It really is yeah. kind of lovely and uh, and sweet. And But you guys yeah. got married during COVID? What did that mean? Did we you do did. it over Zoom from different bedrooms or how did you <laughs> No. So we, our wedding was planned for May 23rd (laughs) and we had this like 250 person wedding at camp. It was going to be at camp because that's where we met. Right. Um, And we had it pretty much all planned. And then like three weeks before it, you know, COVID was like still around and we're like, well, crap, what do we do? Um, So we, had to just pivot (laughs) the word of 2020. Um, And we actually did a 10 person wedding because that was the max people that you were allowed to Mm. have gather at that point. And it was just our immediate families. Um, My brother married us. My uh, his sister was there. Who's going to be one of my bridesmaids and then our parents. Um, And we did it at my parents' house in the middle of the woods. (laughs) Um, There's nowhere else to go. Right, exactly. There's no roads or anything <laughs> or buildings. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it was it was it was a wonderful wedding. Nice. We you know, we it was still at that point in COVID where people didn't really know like what to do, how careful to be. Like we didn't hug. I mean, Derek and I hugged, but like yeah. we didn't hug. Yeah, our you parents. did, Kelsey. Like, <laughs> um, but we didn't hug you yeah, didn't hug your mom on your on your wedding day or your dad? No. Oh. And my parents were like very uh concerned about it as were all of us and mm-hmm. with Derek and I both having type one we were like 
you know, at that point, like no one knew what was going to make it worse or better or safer. Yeah, or, this this sweet story uh, turns into uh, a weird headline seven days later. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. And we were so nervous at that point. Like, you know, our parents are older and oh gosh, yeah. it could have, so, it was in that, like those, those few months where it was like, what's going on? What is COVID? Well, when does, um, when does camp come back? When's the next time Chris is running a camp? So we're doing, unfortunately, this year, we have to do virtual camp again. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon just lifted a bunch of restrictions, but being a diabetes camp, we need a lot of prep time and doctors to hire and nurses to hire. And right. so we're doing virtual camp end of this month. Um, and we're super excited. I will tell you, I thought the kids would be like, nope, everything's opened up. Never mind. I don't want to do virtual camp, but I keep getting emails from parents about how excited they are. And we just shipped off 75 boxes of like fun swag and gifts for them. Um, so we're doing that this year. And then next July will be knock on wood, fingers crossed back on the courts in Vernonia, Oregon, in the middle of the woods. <laughs> that would be really, that's really cool. Although yeah. I guess at virtual camp, you can't like meet a girl and kiss her behind a cabin or something like that. Which true, that's got to that, That's got to be rampant. How old are these kids? <laughs> they are 10 through 17. Oh, so some of them maybe. Some of them maybe. Yeah. I keep a close eye though. I, you know, a lot, <laughs> no of funny adult, business. a lot of adults I know, some of their best stories start with uh, when I was in camp. <laughs> And, yeah. And oh boy. <laughs> and I don't mean best stories like they learned math. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's um, that's all kind of part of it. Where do you fall on the? I mean, I the the answer is obvious here, but I'm asking you literally because I saw somebody post this and on Facebook this morning. I saw a young 22 year old, I think, guy, say that um. He was always uh, family-oriented and then was diagnosed at around th- this age mm-hmm. and now is scared to have a family. And mm-hmm. do you are you scared to have a family? You know, I'm not. I wouldn't say my husband or I are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is we just are – that's something that both of us have always wanted right. uh, is to have kids. The other part of it is – and this might come off odd to some people and that maybe this is just how I justify it to myself – Um, but I, I feel like, and even having a husband, I've always thought this, but having a husband with type one obviously increases the odds of our kids having type one. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess my philosophy is, well, if they have type one, at least they'll be in a family that gets it, knows how to manage it and has like the resources. Like if my kids get to go to diabetes camp someday, I know they're going to be fine. Um, and so at least God forbid they get type one, but at least we'll know the signs to catch it early and we'll have all the tools to make it as good of an experience as possible. Yeah. So, no, I think that's, I think there are a number of different ways to think about it. And I don't find one to be any more or less viable than the other. And mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people say what you just said. And I think it's, uh, I think it's comforting to hear what you mm-hmm. just said, honestly. Um, well, and I mean, as much as there's extra odds that, they will get type one. I have a couple other friends who both parents have type one and their kids don't. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, it, it could not happen. <laughs> I, I just think that you it, it, trying to control. I don't know. Randomness is a weird mm-hmm. decision to make. Like if you think, I think if you think you'd be so overwhelmed 
if your child had type one, either it, no matter how that would overwhelm you with um, need to do something or guilt or whatever it would be that would, I also think it's possibly different for people who are having a different time, like managing, like if you're, if you're Absolutely. having a reasonable time managing, it seems more manageable. Um, right. But, but if, if, I also like I like it when people know their limitations too and they say yeah. this would overwhelm me this isn't something I should do. Absolutely. But yeah. you know I, for November um I I'm talking out of order in the timeline but there'll be an episode in November of uh of, from a woman who you know adopted children they wanted children mm. couldn't have children adopted children and then one of the children ends up with type one diabetes and the other one ends up with something else just this random oh, wow. th- through this randomness and no way. Yeah. So, so, I mean, there's an example, right? Like you don't get to decide how it works out. Right. You know, so you're either in to make a family and you're in for whatever comes next or that's not for you. And I think either way is, is reasonable. Just, I think knowing that is probably the ultimate truth is to me, to me, see how I'm so willing to just speak like Kelsey, like what I think is the exact right thing. But um, <laughs> to, to me, that's the ultimate truth. Like, you're not going to get a clean, mm-hmm. like, like go the whole time. There's nobody right. I know who doesn't have something going on. If it's not, totally. if it's not health, then it's money. And if it's not money, then it's bad family situations. If it's not, and and the real unlucky people get multiples of those things. Yeah. Yeah, but the, absolutely. I don't think there's anyone walking around who wakes up in the morning and is like, huh, everything's perfect. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go about my perfect day and do my perfect things. And I don't, if, if people are expecting that out of parenthood, I mean, from my perspective, you're making a huge mistake. Right. Um, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah. are you going to make the babies or are you like, what's the play? Because, I mean, you're not old, Kelsey, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you don't want to uh, be at like we'll a graduation see. when you're 65, going like, right? That's oh, Billy. <laughs> no, I mean, I definitely think the plan is to try naturally, and I mean, if for some reason that doesn't work, I, like you mentioned, the the person who adopted, I've always, I, I met this family through camp one year that they had a daughter with type one, and then they had found or not found this girl, but like someone had come to them and said here's this girl and she also has type one and we know, you know how to manage it and she needs a family. And they were like, cool, let's have two kids with type one, like come on in. And I just thought that was so cool. So that's something that I would definitely consider as well. Right. There's somebody who's um, been on the show who uh, I think does. Um, oh my God. The word just left my head. Where's the word? Damn it, Kelsey, where's the word? When you're a person and then a kid comes and lives with you for a little while with the idea. Foster? That, thank you. Jeez. <laughs> wow, that was terrible. Um, yeah, there's a person that's been on who fosters uh, kids with type one. Oh, that's so cool. It's difficult, but, you know, I think rewarding and valuable. Listen, I'm adopted. If somebody, mm. if somebody didn't give me up for adoption when they thought they couldn't take care of me, you and I are not having this conversation right now. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. know, people need to uh, find whatever path works for them. But, you know, there's a lot of good things that can come from making a family. So, yeah, to that person. And the the person you mentioned that fosters, do they have type one themselves? They do. See, I mean, how cool is that for those kids, right? Like, you come from foster care where you're probably not meeting many other people with type one. And now you get a safe home and 
someone that gets it right like that just takes so much burden off those kids if i, I remember the awesome. if i remember the example right it was difficult in the beginning but a really uh swift change for the kid mm. you know mm-hmm. so that that's really cool all right so go yeah. adopt a bunch of babies just make sure they can hang in a tree and you know yeah and we're good <laughs> forage, forage on the ground for nuts and mushrooms and things like that that grow in the, yeah in the where do you really live is it like i'm, I'm sure it's like a metropolis <laughs> or something like that or uh so i live in albany which is like an hour south of uh portland i feel like area. you stole that name from new york isn't all yeah probably <laughs> by, the, um, by the time they got out west they were out of names <laughs> yeah exactly they just had to start copying and pasting yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's definitely green here, but I'm in like a little suburb area. <laughs> right. But you're high all the time. No, I am not. Blood sugar wise, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So there you go. That's what I know about Albany, weed and trees. And I, yeah. I might be wrong about all of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I, I, so is there anything that we haven't talked about that you hoped that we would have? I really, I find myself before you answer that question. You you have so many different interesting perspectives that I jumped around a lot trying to dig into all of your areas of of mm. you know expertise. But um, you, I don't know if you did you know you'd be good on the podcast. I mean, not really. Oh. <laughs> I knew after I talked with you when we we talked with Chris, I was like, he's I, you're just really easy to talk to, and I love the questions that you ask. Cool. And so I was like, I'm sure he'll ask questions that I can dig deep for a good answer <laughs> does it make you feel uncomfortable or comfortable to know that as i sat in this chair i was like i don't know who i'm talking to today and then i looked up and i was like kelsey that i think that's the chris dudley girl <laughs> <laughs> no that's awesome yeah. i mean yeah and i love i mean i love that you can just jump on with anyone and have a conversation about this stuff that speaks to your expertise in the podcast realm yeah, i find people so interesting so i have so many questions that i don't get to ask like if i asked all the questions i was thinking every episode would be three hours i want to i i want to ask you more probing questions about about camp like what um what would you say to somebody who doesn't like camp like it's not for everybody i love that question you know what do you can i answer that question listen (laughs) i'll preface it by telling you this for years after Arden was diagnosed, we were like, you know, there's a really popular diabetes camp. And she was like, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, yeah. but that's, that's not Arden's vibe. It's not just diabetes. Like you, you right. couldn't, you couldn't send Arden to lollipop camp. She'd be like, right. ah, I'm not up for that. Like, you know, so I don't even know what it is. Something about being outdoors that much. Maybe um, she's particular about the people she hangs out with. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but what what do you what do you say to people when I'm assuming people show up at their door? The parents are like super excited for camp, and the kid gets out of the car, and you're like, the kid doesn't look very excited. Like, what oh do you, yeah, yeah. What do you oh think? yeah, uh, yeah. So I love this question because those kids that show up at camp, and you can just tell they don't want to be there, whether they're like bawling their eyes out or they're just like not talking to anyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're my guy. Like, I'm gonna go talk to you. Um, but like you said, it's not for everyone, and that's okay, right? Like. I think the biggest thing is for people to recognize is that not all camps are the same. So like riding on insulin, awesome ski and snowboard camp looks very different than Gales Creek where you are out in the woods and hanging out in cabins and going on hikes and doing arts and crafts. 
similarly, like Cristelli basketball camp, completely different, right? You're playing basketball all day. So I know kids that hated other camps, but love Dudley camp because they love basketball and it's their interest is there. Um, and so I think the, what I would say to those families or those kids is to not rule out all camps just because you're not interested in one and to really look into what camp entails, because there is kind of that connotation of, Oh, well, summer camp, you're going to be out in the middle of the woods. You're not going to have, you know, running water or what have you. Um, but it, it's so different for every other camp. Riding on insulin is at the ski lodge. It's usually just a day camp. Um, but you still get those camp vibes of connecting and doing something that you're interested in or trying something new with people who understand diabetes. Um, and I think, I mean, riding on insulin, I think you can get just as much out of it as you do from a day overnight in a traditional summer camp. Um, so I think that would be my first bit of advice for people who are like, Ooh, camp. Um, but my other bit of advice would to be just to try it. Right. And that's tough for some kids. Um, but I, I've seen so many kids that just do not want to be at camp and then they leave on Friday crying because they don't want to leave. camp. So I think there's a lot of, if you can get your kid to just try it, then there's a lot of development and the camper or the counselors and the staff are so well-trained. Like we know there's kids coming in who don't want to be there. Like we're ready for those guys. Um, and gals. Um, but yeah, I just, I think it's worth trying it. And if you don't like it, you know, that's okay. There's other like the podcast or the diabetes online community. There's other ways of support and other ways of meeting people that you can connect with that are just as powerful. But I think it's worth a shot if you can give it a try. It's cool that you've got it thought through like that. I, because I know personally from the podcast that when you have this feeling that there's this thing and you've already made it and it exists and you've seen it do so much good things for so many good, so many good things for so many people. And Mm -hmm. then somebody says, well, I don't have time to listen or, Mm -hmm. and you're like, Oh, like it's, it, it, it crushes you at first. And then you realize it's just not going to be for everybody. Right. And you know, and nothing ever is right. It's, it's difficult though. Once you've put so much effort into something for someone to go camp, ew. And you're yeah. like, wait, no, 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 no. I'm getting, I got married a guy from camp. Like you start yeah. you're like, you're like, you know, and the same thing, you know, somebody will post a, a graph. They clearly don't understand a lot of what they're doing. Right. And I'm like, I think if you listen to these three episodes, it would clarify it. And sometimes mm. every once in a while, someone will respond. I don't have time for that. Mm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what you want me to do then. Like, like, right. like I already gave the world a thing. This is it. Yeah. You know, like if you want it, go use it. If you don't want it, I, I don't know what to do for you. Like, right. um, like I can't, I, I can't come to your house. Although, right. <laughs> although there are times where you think like, I bet you I could, like, I wish I could roll up to somebody's house and just like help. And then roll like, if I could again. just get an hour with them, yeah. like maybe if we get to 10 million downloads, I'll give myself away. That can't be legal. But we'll figure <laughs> it out. We'll do a raffle. Yeah. I actually tried to do that once. For one of the sponsors, and, oh, and I and I, the legal uh, aspect of it did not like the idea. <laughs> so, gotcha, interesting. I, yeah, yeah, it didn't work out. But I had that idea. I'll tell you off the. I have so many like thoughts that I don't get to share on here, but 
Um, <laughs> if you can, can you hold on for a second after we say goodbye? I'd like to ask you a question. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Do you think people are pissed right now that they're not going to hear what the next question is? Yeah, they're like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, well, guess what, everybody? Fuck you. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for doing this. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Of course. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N.com forward slash juice box. And if you've enjoyed this podcast or any of the other ones and you'd like to say thank you, it's super easy to do that. You can just go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box and fill out the survey. All right, guys, there's not going to be any hijinks at the end here. I'm completely beat. I just got done interviewing Shacey Petrovic and Trang Lai from Omnipod. They announced the FDA clearance of the Omnipod 5 right on the Juicebox podcast, and I'm beat from that still. It was very exciting. Oh, it's in episode 620, the one right before this, if you're interested. Because, yeah, I mean, that thing everybody's been waiting for, the Omnipod 5, the FDA just said, go. So here we go. There are tons of details in that episode. Go check it out. I'm super excited for Arden to try Omnipod 5. I am quite certain many of you are as well. Actually, I have a link, omnipod.com forward slash juicebox5 if you want to get on the list, if the interest list. Uh, they're keeping a list of people who are interested because there's going to be a limited market release for the next, I don't know how long, they didn't say exactly, but it's, again, in the episode. I'm getting away from myself here. Anyway, if you want to let the good people at Omnipod know you're interested in the Omnipod 5, their new algorithm-based insulin pump, Go to omnipod.com forward slash juicebox five. It's just the number five. Usually you guys go to omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Right now, if you want to ask about that, it's juicebox five. Honestly, I think my other link gets there too. I'll look real quick. Like I said there wasn't going to be hijinks, and now I'm omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. No five. Scrolling, scrolling. Go to page two of two, scroll, no, that's not it. Huh, interesting. Get started, no. I guess you need the five, for now. I'm gonna talk to somebody, get it all put on one page for you. For now, Omnipod.com, Juicebox five. Go get on the list, tell them like I'm interested, the interested list, I'm sure there's another name for it, but that escapes me right now. Anyway, uh, let me button this up. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. I did it. We're done. I got I to gotta go to bed.